Welcome to the Torah Journey Podcast. My name is Rabbi Ken Brodkin, and I've been a community rabbi for over 15 years. During that time, I've learned that the wisdom of Judaism is powerful, but it's not always easy to understand. Our weekly podcast will enrich your journey and give you practical advice about how to apply the wisdom of Judaism to your life. We'll offer you insights based on the Parsha, current events, the Jewish year, and more. This is the Torah Journey Podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back. It's good to reconnect. It's been a challenging week, less than a week since the Lagbomer tragedy at Mount Meron in Israel claimed 45 lives. And as we record, of course, there are people in Shiva, people injured, fighting for their lives, literally. And in this very raw state, the entire Jewish people are connected. Hours after the tragedy took place, Rabbi Shlomo Katzen-Mafrat remarked that the country is coming together as a family. And right here in Portland, Oregon, this past Shabbos, a congregant informed me that his own cousin lost two grandchildren, ages 11 and 14, at the tragic event in Meron. On Sunday, a funeral for Donnie Morris took place at his yeshiva in Chalavim in Israel. 70,000 people live-streamed from all over the world to watch this event. And as I watched Donnie Morris's mother speak, I thought to myself, that could just as easily be me or my spouse. We're so soon after the event, but it's not too soon to ask ourselves, how do we cope with calamity? How do we come to terms with a tragedy such as this? Suffering is difficult in any circumstance, and the situation is all the more complex, given that this is not an act of God, as it were, but a totally avoidable situation where people were lost due to violations of basic human life and safety measures, as over 100,000 people converged in a site meant for only about 15,000 people. In today's Torah Journey podcast, I'd like to consider some of the guidance the Torah offers us in coping with such difficulty. We feel connected to these families and these victims, even if we are not personally mourning. How does the Torah guide us? And given the painful reality that this was an unnecessary loss of life, where do we go from here? Plus, make sure to check out last week's episode, A Great Light, The Legacy of Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, which is dedicated to the memory of those lost at Meron. While this is a disaster that could have been prevented, we are reeling over the loss of beautiful, innocent lives. How do we cope with that? As we read our Parsha B'chukosai, we find the Torah promises blessing if we adhere to the Torah and curse if we forsake it. The curses are read and shul in a soft undertone. And this is not the only place in scripture where we find such a paradigm. Take the books of Jeremiah and Echa, which foresee the destruction of the bias Rishon in the first temple. In these works, Yirmiyahu sees destruction as a response to Jewish sin. So one of the challenging things about Torah is the idea that tragedy is a response to our sins. And on the other hand, there's another thread within Torah thought. Take the book of Job, Eov. After a lengthy discussion, Eov's friends conclude that we cannot know why the righteous suffer. The books of Tehillim Psalms and Kohelet Ecclesiastes also indicate that the righteous may very well have a difficult life. In fact, the rabbis in Pirkei Avos famously remark, Neither the tranquility of the wicked nor the suffering of the righteous is in our hands to understand. 
And so on the one hand, there is a Torah genre of thinking that associates Jewish tragedy with divine response to sin. And on the other hand, there is a genre that indicates that we cannot understand the sin, the, the calamities and the suffering. What is the resolution between these two ideas? We'll get back to that, but let's first consider an important passage in the Talmud at the end of Chulin, which offers a lot of relevant guidance. The Talmud, or Gemara, addresses the mitzvah of Shiluach HaKain sending off the mother bird while taking the chicks. Now, this is one of two mitzvot about which the Torah explicitly declares that we should fulfill l'man yitavlach v'harach yamim in order that it should be good for you and that you should have length of days. Now, that's quite a promise. Gemara adds that if there's a promise of reward for a simple mitzvah of sending off a mother bird from the nest, all the more so when we fulfill the difficult mitzvot, we will have great reward. And yet the Gemara records a disturbing incident. As the Gemara recounts, there was once a father who told his son, go and fetch me these chicks in the attic. And the boy listened to his father, went up and shooed away the mother bird from the nest and brought back the chicks. And in his return, he fell and he died. The Talmud is troubled. Where is the length of days for this one? Where is the good life for this one? Here he is fulfilling the very two mitzvot about which the Torah promises a reward. And in that very act, he tragically fell and died. Rather, the Talmud surmises what the verse is really saying is you will have length of days, but olam shakulo aruch, in a world that is in its essence long, and you will have a good life, but olam shakulo tov, in a world that is entirely good. The reward for good life and length of days that is promised in the Torah is not necessarily experienced in this world. It's possible you will have a good life, a long life in this world, but it's possible that you will not. Critically, the Talmud persists in a back-and-forth discussion, seeking more clarity about this issue. Perhaps, the Talmud suggests, the verse about getting reward is literal for this world, and people get reward in this world, and the incident of the boy dying in the ladder never really happened. And the Gemara answers, no. The event actually took place. It was actually witnessed by one of the rabbis. Well, the Gemara counters, perhaps the boy was thinking about sinning when he fell and died. If he was thinking about sin, then ostensibly he's not protected by his mitzvah act. And the Gemara rejects that notion, teaching us that a mere thought is not considered as if having done a ne- negative action. Well, says the Talmud, maybe the boy was thinking about idolatry. We know from a passage in Yechezkel, Ezekiel, that even thinking about idolatry is problematic. And once again, the Talmud rejects that line of thinking, stating that if mitzvot protect you in this world, the boy should have pretty well been protected from idolatrous thoughts while doing a mitzvah. And so the initial suggestion stands. The boy died while doing a mitzvah, the very mitzvah of honoring his father and shooing away the mother bird. And the promised reward can only be anticipated in Olam Haba, in the world to come. Then the Gemara continues in a slightly different line of questioning. Granted that the reward for mitzvot is in the next world, but still, this boy was a shaliach mitzvah. He was a mitzvah agent. And we have a principle that mitzvah agents are not harmed, at least at the time that they're fulfilling the mitzvah. Even if the reward is in the next world, the Talmud suggests, 
Shouldn't the boy have been protected while he was doing a mitzvah? And here again, the Talmud has a resolution. It's true that mitzvah agents generally come to no harm, the Talmud says. However, this ladder that he fell from was a rickety ladder, and so danger was natural. When you have a place where damage or danger is commonplace, there is no protection even for mitzvah agents. And so in summary, this boy was in the midst of two mitzvot when he died. Two mitzvot about which the Torah promises reward, honoring the father and shooing away the mother bird. And even though the Torah promises reward for the mitzvot, the essence of that reward is in the next world. You cannot necessarily expect a good life in this world. As far as the idea that mitzvah agents come to no harm, it does not apply to a place where there is inherent danger. Now, how does this discussion help us address the real-life pain of losing innocent people? And the truth is that the Talmud is speaking to people who face real-life issues. Just consider the continuation of the passage. The Gemara turns to discussion about a famed person known as Acher, a reference to Elisha Benavuya, the teacher of Rabbi Meir, referred to as Acher the other one because he abandoned the observance of Torah. Why did he abandon Judaism? Acher saw something disturbing. According to one opinion, it was an incident just like our story of a person doing a mitzvah and dying while it happened. And he beheld the scene and he was very troubled. And his reaction was to reject the very Torah that states that people who do mitzvot get rewarded. So he rejected the Torah because he felt it was contradicted. And yet, says the Talmud, v'hulo yada. He did not understand the verse. Because when the verse says that we will have a good life, it does not mean that there's a promise for good life in this world. It's common that people can have a hard life or even die tragically. Rather, it refers to a world that is entirely long and a world that is entirely good. And so when we see a tragedy take place, and especially if tragedy befalls someone that we identify as good, that is chilling and distressing. Acher was a great Torah scholar, but even he could not come to terms with suffering. And so the Talmud is also suggesting that there's a foundation that we need to keep close at hand. We need to perceive that there is a deeper dimension to God's creation that we don't see in this world. And what's more, we need to remember that key that our rabbis teach us, Ein biadenu. It's not in our hands. And it's not that we're theologically lost, but simply the, there is a much deeper picture of God's world that we don't get to see in this world. And it is okay to be disturbed when we see people suffer. But remember, there is more to the picture than people see. Throughout the Psalms, King David sings of the challenges of his own life and his belief that he will see God in the land of the, of the living. One of the most fundamental aspects of the Torah is our keen sense that there is a transcendental creator and a transcendental realm beyond our world. And that deeper dimension is something we can see in a person's soul. When you look at the picture of this boy, Donnie Morris, one of the victims, 19 years old, you see that soul shining through his face in that picture shared on social media. He was described as a living angel, a young boy who so deeply wanted to bring joy to other people. When you consider the soulful boy being taken away, it is distressing. 
on the one hand, that soul is so precious, and that soul might not find its reward in this world, but there is a world that is entirely good and entirely long. And none of this is supposed to make us feel okay about calamity, but we do need this foundation. In fact, if we don't have the foundation of sensing that deeper realm, we could misunderstand the Torah as Acher did. When we look at this tragedy, we have to allow ourselves to be impacted, but also know, to know at which point to declare, Ein biadenu, the matter is not in our hands. But hold on, is there not another voice in the Torah that indicates that tragedy is a divine curse, a response to sin? Perhaps you should look at this tragedy and say that this is a, a curse for sin. And it is true that the Torah speaks about national calamities as a response to sin. But it would be very fraught to apply these verses to our modern day experiences. Because generally the prophets saw national tragedies as stemming from national shortcomings. That's how the prophets understood major national events, such as the destruction of the first temple. And that's how our rabbis saw the destruction of the second temple. And it's true that the Torah speaks in this way regarding national events, but that does not address the individual person within those events who suffers. While the nation might be given a reason for travesty, when it comes to Job, Eov, or to any individual, we don't have specific answers. Still, foundational to the Torah is the idea that there is a creator who transcends creation. That creator endowed us not only with a physical body, but with a divine breath of life. And that soul lives beyond the limited framework that we see in this world. In all of this, we cannot ignore the tragic element of the fact that this was preventable. Serious discussion of Israeli societal issues is clearly beyond the scope of this podcast. But it's also clear that a gathering of 100,000 people at a religious site made for 15,000 people is endangering to life. Over the years, there's been a lot of pressure from some groups in Israel to assure there's no limits on attendance of this religious event, and that pressure has come at the ultimate cost. It's fundamental that any religious leader make life safety an issue of paramount importance. I once interviewed a potential principal from my Antar Day School here in Portland, and he told me that if hired, his top priority every day would be child safety. I thought, that's a good leader. It's a desecration for religious leaders to hold an event in which the sanctity and the safety of life is not paramount. And Mehron has been a known problem for many years. The guidance I would offer for individuals is to be aware of safety and demand accountability from your leaders. And if something does not seem right to you in an event or in, a, in an issue in your life, make sure to listen to your gut. But while on a societal level, there are serious issues that need to be dealt with in Israel and everywhere for that matter, we also need to recognize our own personal grappling with these events. And in that light, the foundation of seeing the human soul is paramount for us processing what we're going through. And that leads us to an even deeper point. It's because of that human soul that we're connected. We see this through this event, that the Jewish people are one family. In the hours after the event at Meron, secular Jews were lining up in Tel Aviv for hours to give blood. For that matter, local Arab and Druze villages were also joining the rescue efforts. 
The unity has been the defining issue here. And that unity is based on a deeper soul connection that we have with one another. So as you grapple with this challenging moment, remember the humility of our rabbis who remind us that answers for individual suffering is not in our hands. And remember their vision. As the rabbis perceived within the Torah a deep assurance that we will one day encounter an olam shekulo tov, a world that is entirely good. If you're enjoying this podcast and feel that others would benefit, make sure to tell at least two friends about us. We'll be back next week to discuss the Book of Ruth in advance of Shavuot. I'm Rabbi Ken Brodkin, and this is the Torah Journey Podcast.